Hello? Hey, Rich, it's Larson. You got a minute? Sure, Larson. What's up? Well, hello, everybody. It's Larson Hicks and Pastor Rich Lusk. It is the Got a Minute podcast, and we are back at it. It's been a minute. It's been a couple minutes since we... uh, since we last recorded one of these things, Rich, what's the deal, man? Yeah, I guess we've just been busy. You know, sometimes that happens. I, I think it's because we've been we've been preparing so much for this episode, this bombshell episode. You, you know, I, I I think what's interesting is you know we're not charismatics, but we right? sure do uh, leave this podcast to the leading of the spirit in the moment. I think it's the way to go. I think it's what, you know, I mean, there's plenty of podcasts out there. If you're looking for something that's 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 polished and refined and uh, has sound effects, has sound effects, you know, uh, you're you got plenty of options. This is for those who want to hear a conversation uh, between, you know, Rich Lusk and Larson X. And uh, and, you know, we're trying to every every time we record, we're trying to recreate the those uh those long conversations that you and i have had so many times so you know i I, that's the mission as far as i'm concerned of the god a minute podcast that's great let's do it all right man well so uh we've got we've got this huge list of things that we want to talk about and so you know it's going to be a variety episode this time yeah 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 we'll do we'll do another variety episode here and we'll just start chunking away. So I, I think we, I think we left Gilder, we left just a little bit of meat on the bone with Gilder that we wanted to try to kind of close that out. So I, I say we start there. Um, I, 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 uh, I left my copy at home, and I'm working out of the office. I'm, I'm recording out of the office today. So, um, so yeah, hit hit me up, man. What what's and it. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, you know, the Gilder book, we have, we've talked about uh, the book, the pros and cons of it overall. I certainly think it's very much worth reading. Yeah. Uh, it is an excellent, uh, I think, takedown of the sexual revolution and feminism, how destructive and anti-human uh, these movements are. The book is largely written from a secular point of view. It's not a, it's not a theological or biblical book in yeah. that way. And I think that's probably reflective of where Gilder was. Uh, in his own worldview at the time when he was writing this, really right. back in the you know in the seventies and then eighties as it went through different different uh, versions. But uh, I do think it's it's uh, the things that he says about the family are largely rooted in reality. The things he says mm-hmm. about men and women are largely rooted in reality. And we provided a few correctives along the way yeah. uh, as we discussed it previously. But but one thing that I think he really does a good job with is when you come to the very end of the book, and I don't think we got to talk about this last time. It's It's been month plus since we recorded, so I can't remember exactly what we did and didn't talk about. But uh, I did want to make sure that we said a few things about his uh, his afterward at the very end of the book. Yeah. And uh, he gets into parenting. And, you know, throughout the book, he's made the point that uh, men and women are connected to the future through their children. Right. He likes to say that men are connected to the future through the wombs of women. That's certainly one way to put it. But, of course, for women, there's not a connection to the future unless there's a man involved, too. And so yeah. that's a way to conceive that child that uh, that uh, that invests them in the future and that carries on their legacy, their heritage. 
um, children that they can pass something along to, uh, that they can, you know, so they can have this hand in shaping the next generation. But one thing that I like about the afterwards, I think it really ties together a lot of different facets of Gilder's work. You know, he's he's really well. And, and let me let me make a quick pitch here for uh, the Canon Plus. Uh, documentary that they put out on called Sage Against the Machine, really clever title. Uh, And it's really good covering really all the different facets of his work, but particularly his work against feminism and on behalf of the family and his work on, uh, you could say, capitalism or a market economy and against any kind of socialism or something like that, statism. Uh, And I think some of those threads uh, come together at the very end of this book. And so I'll just read a few little excerpts here. Um, And the page numbers probably don't matter because I've got this old 1990s version, not the new Canon version. But this is my one that's uh, that's marked up. So um, let me just read a few little bits and pieces here. He says, yet for all the pretense of intellectual analysis and patina of moral concern, it seemed to me that this despair about the future and spurning of children was in fact quite simply sick. To anyone with any historic imagination who conceives of what it was like to be in the class of 1936, moving out of the Great Depression, moving toward the Second World War, the idea that the problems we face today are somehow extraordinary or especially difficult or unparalleled in human existence is obvious nonsense. As a matter of fact, it struck me that for my father to write militant testaments to capitalism in 1936 and 1941 was incomparably more bold and daring than for me today with all the post-war experience behind me to assert that capitalism is the crucial source of growth and progress. By capitalism here, he basically just means free markets, markets that are, that are free of um, right. state control. Right. So what, he's, so what he's saying here is there are people that are very negative, they're very pessimistic. And of course, when he was writing this, 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 this was true. It's much more true today we're, 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 because now you've got not just, say, uh, concerns about the economy or concerns about war. You know, now you've got people who are obsessed over climate change, you know, which is largely a hoax, but they think there's some climate crisis on the way. Okay, so they're very pessimistic about the future, and so therefore they don't want to have children. They say, how can you bring children into this kind of world? Yeah. And he's saying that's basically ridiculous. Uh, if you look back across the history of the world, and I'm actually, I'm doing my uh, podcast here. I've got my oh yeah, super long timeline. We picked that uh, up at uh, at the at the uh, arc. It's it's like it's like twenty something feet long, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, and I didn't have have a wall in my house long enough to do it just in one continuous strip. So it's it's broken into two strips. You can see an upper and That's a lower. Awesome. But uh, but it, but if you look back across the history of the human race. You see, human life has been incredibly difficult. It's been full of trial and tribulation. There's no generation ever that's just had it easy the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and, and many generations in the past have had it far, far, far more difficult than anybody today. So for us in the year 2023, sure, we have various concerns and there right. are certainly things to be concerned about. But for us to be despairing, pessimistic, hopeless uh, about the future because, hey, you know, interest rates went up a few points, you know, on, <laughs> on mortgages, you know, right. or, uh, you know, I mean, all the different things that people talk about, you know, the, the climate scare, which I think is, you know, is actually very silly or talks about, you know, overpopulation, which has been with us for a long time now and has constantly been debunked. Okay. Talk like this that makes people anti-family, that makes them cynical about the future, that makes them very pessimistic and despairing. That's just ridiculous. People have gotten married and had children through far more difficult times 
in the past than what we're experiencing right now. I mean, you think about people that lived in the early part of the 20th century. Um, you know, by the time, I mean, if you were born in the early part of the 20th century, by the time you were middle age, you had been through two world wars. You had been through a far, like a real pandemic. Okay. Not, not the, you know, quasi pandemic that we had, but a real pandemic. Uh, you had seen, you've been through the Great Depression, okay, far bigger economic disaster than the 2008 downturn or, or anything else that's been experienced in my lifetime. So, I mean, just, people just 120 years ago in the United States experienced far more hardship than people today. The problem is we've gotten soft, we've gotten so addicted to our own comfort. Uh, and, and so, any little thing, you know, we, 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 we are so soft that we tend to panic. And uh, we just have this very dark view of the future, even though we still live the most comfortable lives that anybody in the history of the world have lived. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think, I think he's got a really good point here. He goes on further. He says, uh, couples who choose to go without children in the name of sexual pleasure or in the fear of resource scarcity reveal an incomprehensible, incompre- I'm sorry, in comprehension of the nature of the human predicament. I think that's a great statement. Okay, people who, de- who decide to not have children because they just want to have sexual freedom. Yeah. They don't yeah. want the responsibility of children, which that's increasingly common today. Yeah. Uh, people today who say that they uh, don't want to have kids they don't, or, or don't want to get married, they don't mean by that typically that they're going to live celibate, chaste lives of sexual purity. They mean they right. just want to continue to have sexual autonomy and then use various forms of birth control to prevent the consequences of what they're doing from happening. Right. And same thing with resource scarcity. I mean, again, you've got all these scares in the media about scarce resources. You know, we might say climate change more in our day, that kind of thing. But but yeah. if people choose to not have children for these reasons, they, they, they show what utter fools they are, that they have no comprehension of what human history has been like and no comprehension of what the human mission is. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's really, really good. Um, he goes on from there. Um, he says, children are not the problem. Being child free is no solution. But free children under capitalism, so a free economy, free children under capitalism in families that give them roots in the past and horizons in the future, that give them faith and discipline and moral courage, afford most of the pleasures and solve most of the problems of the world. And that is exactly yeah. right. Um, he says populations consist mainly of mouths, not minds, according to Malthu- Malthusus, uh, yeah. and with who who uh, you know talked about the overpopulation problem. He says he he only thought of people as mouths and not minds, and so people are always going to be a drain on society. That people are going to consume more than they produce. The reality is, if you look at human prosperity over the course of the centuries, you will see that. As population is increased, you might think, oh, well, population increasing, that means fewer resources for the rest of us. That means the pie is getting cut into smaller and smaller pieces, right? No, no, because actually the ultimate resource are people themselves. When you bring a child into the world, you're bringing the, the, the most amazing resource there is. So don't just think of children as a drain on society. Think of them as productive agents of dominion and, and agents of subduing the creation and agents of you know, of, of productivity, uh, not drain, uh, not just a drain on our resources, but actually the ultimate resource. Yep. Um, he, he goes on from there. Just a couple other things I'll, I'll point out here. Um, 
he says it's greed that, imp- that, that, that impels people to seek first their own comfort and security. I think that's right. And he says, actually, greed leads to socialism, not capitalism. And he's exactly right about that. People want to say, oh, it's the greedy capitalist. And of course, sometimes, I mean, I'm not saying that capitalists can't be greedy. We know that they can be. But greed is counterproductive in a capitalist system because in order for you to be a success in a market system, you have to produce something that people want at a price they're willing to pay. So you, it, this, the system forces you to serve other people, where socialism obviously doesn't do that. And so he says, capitalism begins with the love of families for their children and the belief that any child may grow up and make huge contributions to a society. This is so helpful because I've heard a lot of people use the rhetoric. They have said, well, the market economy has been bad for families. And I think that's just not true at all. I think Gilder here is exactly right. Um, capitalism, the free market, has served families really, really well and has uh, allowed families to attain to a level of prosperity and freedom that's just been unknown, again, historically in the past. He says, capitalism begins at the mother's breast with the feminine belief in the sanctity of every life enshrined in the family and equal before God. Any system that does not uphold the value and freedom of individuals, however lowly, will miss the most and greatest technical and economic breakthroughs. Giving, beginning within the family and extending outward into the society, is the moral center of the system. So the whole system is predicated on giving. It's not taking, it's giving that makes the system work. It does not succeed by allowing the leading capitalists to revel in riches. If they hoard their wealth, the system tends to fail. They have to invest their wealth to keep the system going, which means you know creating new jobs and further innovation. Yeah. It succeeds by inducing the capitalist continually to give his wealth back to the system in the form of new gifts and investments. So uh, in that sense, I think it's, it's really just the opposite of so much of the messaging that young people get today. He says a key misperception of the left is that giving is somehow simple and easy. You just stand on the street corner and distribute dollars or you create a welfare system that redistributes money. But anyone who really considers the problem closely discovers that it is difficult to give without harming. That it takes intimate knowledge to give without taking in the long run. This is, um, you've mentioned, Lars, in that book, When Helping Hurts. Yeah. And it's a great book, and maybe we'll discuss that sometime on this podcast. Basically, it makes the point that there are a lot of ways of trying to help people with financial handouts and other kinds of gifts that actually in the long run are counterproductive. The welfare state has been counterproductive in eradicating poverty. You know, when when the great war on poverty started in the 1960s with LBJ, it's actually created far more poverty than we had before because it's undermined the family and all the things he talks about in this book. Right. Um, You know, it's it's actually made the, the, the situation worse. Absolutely. So he says, this is why families are the crucial instrument of overcoming poverty, because people who live with others and have a direct responsibility for them, who bear children and thus have their lives descended into the future, can give in a productive and successful way. Distant institutions distribute dollars, but they cannot really give. And I think Mm -hmm. that's so helpful. A capitalist business is a better instrument of giving than a welfare state. The process of investment oriented toward fulfilling the needs and desires of others, we might say oriented towards fulfilling the creation mandate of Genesis 1, in cooperation with others in the firm leads to a more altruistic way of life 
and result of effort than does many a public charity. The ultimate morality of the company is rooted in the morality of family, in the golden rule, and the returns of giving. Indeed, the essential capitalist act, the very paradigm of giving or investing without a predetermined outcome, is the one bearing, raising, and educating of children. Mm. And so he says the ultimate capitalist act where you're investing in the future, you're making an investment in the future with an expected payoff, is bearing, raising, and educating children. Great. Above all, in advanced societies where child labor is rare, children entail a prolonged and precarious commitment of work and wealth, love and faith, with no assurance of future return. They require elaborate decades of expensive preparation before they can make their own contributions to the society, negative or positive. And all too often, at least in the view of the parents, they turn out wrong. Parents are the ultimate entrepreneurs, and as with all entrepreneurs, the odds are against them. Hmm. But all human progress of businesses and families as well as societies depends on an entrepreneurial willingness to defy the odds. It is in the nuclear family that the most crucial process of capitalist defiance and faith is centered. Here emerge the most indispensable acts of capital formation, the psychology of giving, saving, and sacrifice in behalf of an unknown future embodied in a specific child, a bulky bundle of possibilities which will yield its social reward even further into time than the most foresighted business plan. In this venture, few mothers and no societies can succeed without enlisting the fathers. And this is, this is his conclusion. Marriage is the key to the connection of fathers to this central process in the creation of life and the production of wealth. The golden rule and perennial lesson of marriage is give and you will be given unto. It is an obvious message. Of, it is the obvious message of motherhood. But societies thrive only to the extent that this maternal wisdom becomes as well the faith of fathers. Mm. Okay. I think that's just a great summary that ties so many threads together. Um, no kidding. Hope for the future, what, what the, what, how families are connected to prosperity, how families are connected to the Dominion Mandate, how families do best in an economic system that gives them great freedom. Yeah. So. No, I love it. I love it. I, I remember reading that, that um, and, and feeling like I was ready to dive into a whole new book of, Gil, you know, get, get into Gilder's yeah. economic yeah. teaching, because I know that that that's a that's that's another area that he's famous for, uh, but it's it's clear that his his thinking on economics is so is so uh, rich and and robust um, that you know I, I love the idea of thinking about and I think that quote about entrepreneurship starting in a mother's breast I think that I think that made it into uh, David Bonson's uh, there, there's no free lunch book uh, it's full of economic economic quotes I think that that made it in there because that that, that um, phrase is very familiar to me but but the um, but yeah it's it's funny because I think people think of business I mean this is something the, the longer and longer I've been in business um, and been in entrepreneurship the more um, all of my wrong preconceptions as a young man starting off in my career have just slowly been kind of flipped on their mm -hmm. head and I've, I've been put over and over into this position where, where I've got employees who are questioning my decisions or questioning the direction of the company or, or thinking about things the way that I thought about things when I was an employee. And, and, and now as a leader, I'm realizing, oh, this is so much more complicated and, and difficult and uncertain uh, than, you know, I used to think that you're a business, you just, 
you just pay people salaries and you give people promotions and you and you you know there, there are all these things that you should just do because you're a good business you know and that's what good businesses do and then you're and then you're running one and realize oh this is very this is very complicated this is not nearly as formulaic as i thought and that that idea one of the the key ideas of of entrepreneurship is this idea of pivoting you know, this mm. this idea you'll hear angel investors people who invest in very early stage companies you'll hear them say i'm investing i'm not investing for the current business i'm investing for the pivot i'm i'm investing in this group of people mm. and and the potential i see in this group of people i don't think they've got the right product or the right strategy but i think they got the right people and mm. they're and they're smart enough to at some point they're going to pivot they're going to discover where they can really make headway and really build a, a, a great business. Um, but that's, I, I've, I've never, you know, until reading Gilder, I've never thought of my kids that way. I think we tend to think of our kids in a very, uh, I think the temptation is to think, you know, well, these kids are, are there's, there's one way to raise them and there's the right way and the wrong way and there's the reformed way. And if I do it the right way, they're all going to turn out in this. They're going to look like this and they're going to behave like this. And and uh, and that uh, but but it reminds me of Doug Wilson's uh, quote early in uh, the book, um, um, uh, Future Men, where he talks about how raising raising boys takes a lot of faith is you have to see the potential. You're sort of investing in the pivot. You're looking at a nine year old boy going is there anything redeemable <laughs> about this little bundle of mischief, you know, um, that, that's standing before me that is disruptive and that is, is just insufferably goofy and can't sit still and seems destructive and violent and, and irreverent and everything else. You're looking at this going, is there any, is there any hope, <laughs> you know, for this? And the answer is is uh, you're, you're investing for the pivot. You're 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 child rearing as like an entrepreneur. You know you're 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 yeah, looking to the future that, that that there there is potential here. I'm playing the long game. You know. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's a great way to think about it. And I, you know, obviously, Gilder's not bringing in the covenant to this discussion. God's covenant promises, I'll be a God to you and to your children that really supports everything we're trying to do with our children. But I think his 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 uh, his linking of parenting to entrepreneurship is really, really uh, a great way to think about it. Yeah, I mean, it's wonderful. It doesn't cover everything that you'd want to say about parenting, but there's obviously risk involved. Um, it's very future oriented. There's a great investment of capital up front where you expect a long term gain, but not an immediate gain. You know, you're playing the long game. Raising faithful children is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. There are sacrifices that you make along the way because there's always the opportunity cost, which you're investing in having a child in terms of time and money. You could have put towards something else, but you're saying this is worth it. And it is because, again, the, people are the greatest resource of all. And that, that that, that child you brought into the world, that's an eternal soul. There's nothing else that you can invest in that has the same eternal significance right. as your children. Uh, so it, it's just, I think Gilder gives us a great way of thinking about what right. we're doing uh, as mothers and fathers in our families with our children. And, and I think it's just a, it's a very helpful long-term perspective on the work. Yeah. And it, and it, and it, it says something about the state of the world we live in today that this even has to be said or argued for, you know, and, and, 
if you read the Bible, you know, if you were a Martian reading the Bible, I mean, you, you would, you would see that, that barrenness is a incredible curse. You know, it's an incredible burden, uh, that no one wants to bear, you know, and that fruitfulness is an incredible blessing, uh, that everybody desires, you know? Um, and, and the fact that we're living in a time, uh, that, that that point has to be argued, you know, um, and that somebody with the intellectual powers of Gilder, uh, has to bring all of his, you know, his, uh, talent to bear, to be able to make a compelling argument, uh, to this, this generation, uh, says something about how disconnected we are from, from, you know, we talk about the Proverbs being kind of the moral, uh, you, you, you describe the Proverbs as kind of the moral cause and effect of the universe. Mm -hmm. That, that proverbial, you know, just common sense that we should have if we're just looking at the world is we're so disconnected from that, you know, that, 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 that the idea that you will be, uh, it will be bad for you to grow old and not have children who you've invested in and who are competent and who love you like that idea that I have to, that you have to explain somebody that, or that yeah. we're so short sighted that we can't, we're so distracted that we don't see that future, you know, that we don't have the imagination to look ahead and go, huh, what am I going to do when I'm 75, you know, when my spouse has died and I can't work anymore? What, what's what's my life going to come to you know mm. um we're so disconnected through technology and through luxury and affluence and i've got you know i can get food delivered to me and i can get my groceries delivered to me and you know my house is air conditioned i don't need to go chop wood you know we're so get disconnected that we don't see that connection but the connection's still there obviously it's still still right there um it's just, uh, it's, we've just, it's just that view has been obscured for us. And I think if people just saw that connection, it would really make, make, they'd be able to make a lot more sense of, of a lot of these issues. Yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right. I think that we are now, and, and this is probably something we've talked about before several times along the way, but it just strikes me again and again, how important it is. Some of this is due to ideology that is at war with the reality of the way God made the world. Some of it is due to the fact that we can use technology to insulate us, to kind of create a barrier between us and, and the way God designed the world to work. Uh, but, but the reality is I think today people are more alienated from God's design for male and female and for the family, marriage, children, all of that than, than at any other time, certainly in, you know, in the history of Western civilization. And I think you're seeing that borne out in all kinds of ways, like with the rampant sexual confusion that we have in our culture, where, you know, the culture now can't even define what, what boys and girls are, what men and women are. Right. Uh, but I think, I think it's the kind of thing, too, that's even seeped into the church. You know, people talk about gender dysphoria, which is at the root of transgenderism, where somebody, you know, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body or vice versa, something like that. But I think there are other kinds of ways in which there's a kind of, it might be a milder form of, dysphor of dysphoria, but it's still kind of this alienation from your own gender. Like you think about women who are in many cases today alienated from motherhood, 
where biblically and creationally, motherhood is right at the center of what it means to be a woman. And right. even for, for women who don't ultimately bear children, there's still that maternal instinct, and yet there, there's so much pressure in the culture today to suppress it. So if a little girl tells you, you know, if, if, if somebody asks a little girl, you know, 5, 8, 12 years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? If she says, well, the most important thing to me when I grow up is I want to be a wife and a mother, she'll be castigated. I mean, yeah. people will just laugh at that, like that's just dumb. But I mean, the reality is that is ultimately what God designed her for. That's what her body's designed for. That's what her soul craves is that connection with a child. Yeah. Uh, that's that's where her investment. In, and, and then you think about the way pregnancy gets viewed. OK, like, I mean, um, you have women who will complain about what pregnancy does to their body. And I get it. I mean, I'm not a woman, so I can't relate to that directly. But, I, you know, you, you, you read about these things and it's like, wait just a second. Even um, Abigail Favalli, I think that's how you say her name who has ended up as a fairly conservative Roman Catholic on gender questions in her book, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, you can do a quick Amazon search, Abigail Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E, I think is how you spell her last name. Um, but she, she is somebody who came, you know, who was raised as a conservative Christian, became very progressive liberal feminist in the university mm-hmm. and then wrote this book kind of describing her journey back towards a more traditional biblical conservative the genesis of gender the genesis of gender that's it yeah. but she talks about how she when she had children how alienated she felt from her own body you know, in terms of how she experienced motherhood there's like something disorienting about it and i don't know if women in the past have experienced that or not that's certainly not something that I've seen recorded. I can't imagine any, any of the women in the Bible experiencing something like that because, like you said, they saw barrenness as such a curse and motherhood as such a blessing. I mean, imagine the angel Gabriel coming to Mary and saying, you know, you've been chosen to bear the Messiah. And she says, oh, no, thank you. I don't want stretch marks. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, right. it's just like, it's like that just, it's just like, you, that's just nonsense. Well, it's, you know? it's funny. It's funny because this connection to, uh, between childbearing and entrepreneurship, I think is a really interesting one. Um, you know, my brother and I both uh, are, are running businesses and uh, we both joke about how uh, we've gotten fatter <laughs> because of the, the business, you know, right. it's like the stress of the work takes a toll physically. And, and you sort of go, that's part of the, that, that kind of goes with the territory. It's like, if you're gonna, if you're, you're gonna have to make sacrifices and you don't get to be, you know, you, you can't be a supermodel or a, or a, a peak athlete and uh, a, a, a entrepreneur or a business leader who has a lot of responsibility at the same time. Uh, generally, you know, um, but, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that idea that, you know, that the little girl who says, I want to be a a mother, uh, and, and, uh, a wife, it's like, it's like literally not, not figuratively or not metaphorically. Is there anything that she could do if that woman, that little girl goes on to raise five, you know, children who themselves in turn, you know, become, you know the boys become business leaders and the and the and church leaders and the and the daughters become you know wives of of business leaders and church leaders like is there anything more impactful that she could possibly do or that any of us could hope to do than produce five human beings that have that kind of impact on the world it's like yeah. ha- having children and raising them faithfully is such a force multiplier right 
And again, raising them faithfully becomes such a force multiplier. We talk about heritage and legacy and inheritance and all of that, and those things are important in terms of the family, but how much more are they important in terms of the kingdom of God? Yeah. And so it becomes a way of uh, extending and furthering the which if you want to say, okay, what is life about? Yeah. You know, what does it all come down to? Well, in a way, I mean, this is what it's about. It's about growing God's kingdom, which you got, you, you don't start with the Great Commission. You start with the creation mandate, and then you fit the Great Commission inside of that. You start with the creation mandate. It's about ruling the earth, subduing the earth, having dominion over the earth. It's about being fruitful and multiplying, which, of course, means children. Uh, yeah. So that, that's it. And, and yeah. uh, that is what human life is about. God wants us to take this creation he's given to us and transform it into a glorious, glorious civilization. He wants us to take that original garden that he put us in, the Garden of Eden, and transform that into the new Jerusalem. Right. And we're in the process of doing that over the course of human history. And of course, sometimes we're not building the new Jerusalem, we're building another Babel or, or Babylon or something. Yeah. But, uh, but, but, the, but the point is to build that new Jerusalem, to, to build a God-glorifying civilization. Right. And work is at the heart of that, family's at the heart of that, that's what life is about. It, yeah. and, and of course, it all flows out of worship, what happens in the sanctuary, all that's central as well. But yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. You talk about being an entrepreneur, you and your brother with, with businesses. I talked about how women can often be alienated from their own nature in today's yeah. world, from their feminine nature. Like when women are pushed into the workforce or choose to go into the workforce, there's very often a kind of hardening that takes place because it's more of a masculine space. And they, they, they try to feminize the space, and that creates issues of its own. But they're also, there's also this tendency for women in the work. I'm not saying this applies in every job. I don't think this would be true of, say, teachers or, or nurses or something like that. Sure. That's but there, there are certainly forms of work that women can go into that masculinize them, that harden them. Sure. And, and again, that, that's part of this alienation from nature. But I think you see the same thing going on with men today. Men who are very much alienated from how God made them to be protectors and providers. Men who just don't want to bear the burden of responsibility for a family. And, and so therefore they don't grow up. They don't have aspirations to get married. They want to kind of extend adolescence, you know, really for the right. rest of life, if they could, is the sense you get from a lot right. of men. And so, I mean, there, there have been these videos that have been circulated around recently of these, you know, younger guys who are saying, oh, you know, if there's World War III, you definitely don't want to send me over there. You would never want to put a gun in my hand because, well, I take this medication for my mental illness and I really don't like violence. And, 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 they can, and they're very effeminate in how they speak and mannerisms. And I, so much so that I wonder if some of these things are like fake, if they're, you know. Oh, yeah. But, you know, but they're like, why can't we just sit down and, and talk? It's like, well, you just don't understand how the world works. Like, <laughs> sure, let's send you over to Hamas and you can go lead the way in negotiations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right. Well, it, 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 that. It, it's that it's it comes back to that comment earlier about just how how uh, how disconnected we are today uh, in, from from just kind of the natural order. And it, it's a natural order that we can't escape. You know, we, we're, we're living in sort of uh, uh, the metaverse or some sort of fake you know, reality, some artificial reality uh, that, that sort of masks reality from us, uh, the reality of a lot of these things that are going to catch up with us at some point. Nature is going to win in the end. But as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking, you know, we should write a book. Uh, and, and by we, I'll, I'll, I'll be the guy that tells you ideas and you can be the guy that writes it and actually does the hard part. Um, no, but we should write a book called uh, Selfish Parenting, you know, or Ambitious Parenting, because it's mm -hmm. like, I, I actually think you could, 
a lot of good could be done by starting the premise of a parenting book on let's do let's think about this in a completely self-interested way like like let's fast forward to when you're 75 or 65 or 55 you know pick pick a time what kind of life do you want to have what kind of what what kind of kids do you want to have you know like uh and let's 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 back into what kind of parenting you have to do today to achieve that result. And I think that's what's been happening throughout all of history. It's that's where, you know, healthy, well-adjusted children come from is parents who selfishly are going, I don't want a house that's chaotic. I don't want uh, kids who hate me. You know, I don't want kids who hate God and who hate our way of life. Uh, I want kids who are going to be productive and, and uh, be able to handle responsibility. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so that, that sort of, that, that's just human nature, but again, we we we've uh, we're so divorced from from reality today that that we don't think we don't even think that way about parenting our own kids. Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right about that. I, I think another thing another thing I want to mention are two two things that came up as you were talking. One was um, you talked about the workplace kind of um, masculine masculine uh, what what's the term masculinizing women? masculinizing yeah yeah that's yeah. what I use. Um, uh, the the example that came to mind when you said that was uh, I've listened to, to Jordan Peterson talk a lot about gender pay gap and all that stuff. He has a lot of famous conversations about that. And and he, he points out that in his clinical practice, he's counseled tons of women uh, in the marketplace and how to how to move up in their careers and, and achieve higher pay and higher positions. And and most of the most of the training he's doing is this assertiveness training. He's he's, mm -hmm. he's women are are naturally less assertive and less um, demanding, They're less disagreeable, less disagreeable, and he just teaches women how to be more agreeable or disagreeable, which is which is a masculine trait. Yeah. Um, and so it's like you know, and and his point is, yeah, that's a trait you've got to have if you want to compete with men in the marketplace. Then you're going to need to uh, acquire some masculine traits to be yeah. able to do that. Um, which I thought, I, I've always thought that was fascinating. Yeah. The other thing, the, the final thing I, I thought of just, and we can move on after this if you'd like, um, but, but um, as I was hearing the reading, uh, scripture reading on Sunday was uh, Christ's um, um, message about, um, you know, not worrying about tomorrow and not worrying about what you're going to eat or, or, or what clothes you're going to wear. Cause God, God uh, feeds the lilies of the field and the birds, how much more so, um, uh, people, uh, the, the, th one of the things that just occurred to me uh, in that moment, as I was hearing that on Sunday was this idea that, um, that I keep coming back to just in, in waves over the years is this idea that our job, our, our career is not about making money, you know? And, and I think that's another just lie, unchristian lie, that, that, that work is primarily about earning money. Um, I, I think that for a Christian, our thought process needs to be, I trust God for provision. He's always provided for his people, you know, manna in the wilderness. And, and, and you know, he, he's always promised that he's gonna take care of his people. Uh, work is about fulfilling the, the, the creation mandate. It's about how did God equip you in uniquely to 
take dominion of the world, to subdue the world, to be fruitful? Um, and how do you do that best with the gifts? That, how do you discern, you know, like the garden that you've been placed in, you know, and the ground that you've been given to till, you know, like how do you take stock of, of who you are and what God's built you to do and, and maximize your impact towards subduing the earth and, and filling it uh, and, and taking dominion and, and being fruitful? Like, how do you, how do, you do that? Um, that's what a job is, you know. And so for some people, a byproduct of that is a lot of money uh, because, you, you, you know, your highest best use is, is in sales, you know, software sales or something, or uh, you're, you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or something. But for other people, you know, teachers uh, or pastors, sorry, Rich, um, you know, it's, it's, money's not going to be the, 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 that's not going to be the highest, best, you know, way to, to make money. Um, but that's, that's, I think that's a, that's a fundamental flaw in the way that we view work, um, today. And, and I think Gilder's getting at this, that, 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 um, in families and in business, the underlying principles give, and you'll be given to the first question you're asking in business is, whose problems can I solve? How can I solve their problem? What are those problems? You know, and, and figuring out how to, how to do something, how to serve somebody in such, in, in a way that provides so much value to the person that they, that they're more than happy to, to pay you money for it. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that, yeah, that, that all kind of connects, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, going back to the, to what you were just saying and the, the afterword of Gilder's book, which I think is the most brilliant part of the whole thing, it, it really ties together, uh, you know, his work on family and his work on economics. And I think it's so important to see that mutually enforcing relationship yeah. um, that the, you know, the family as an engine of prosperity because of its future orientation and, and basically you know, it's kind of an anti-socialism, anti-statism argument, yeah. um, you know, this argument in favor of free markets, basically, um, that uh, it, it is, um, that, that that is also an engine of prosperity. And so when those things come together, that's when you really get your greatest prosperity, when yeah. you've got, you know, free and faithful families functioning in a free economy with a, with a very limited state. Um, yeah. So you yeah, mentioned Bonson. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things Bonson talks about is that it's it's it's, and of course we've had him on this podcast. But one of the things that that he that he points out is that it's actually the size of the state that really matters more than anything else because of how much regulation that comes with, and as the state grows, that really eats up space in the economy for innovation yeah. and investment. Yeah. So so then it becomes what um, Gilder was talking about, where the really rich try to hoard their wealth. Because it doesn't make sense to invest it anymore because the game's rigged. Yeah, uh, you can't you can't expect an investment you know a return on yeah. your investment anymore. So well, so I, I think I think if Christians want to be pro family, you know we need to have this future orientation. We can't be despairing, and we also need to be uh, in favor of a limited state and, and against yeah. uh, a highly regulatory state. Um, so th- those are things that I think fit together. One, one other thing is, and this ties in with um, kind of where we started in discussing his afterward, the despair that people have today uh, that, that leads a lot of people, even in the church, to not want to get married, not want to have kids, because after all, how can you bring kids into a world like the one we live in? I think that the, the, there are real problems with our world, and I don't doubt that the generation that's up and coming now 
is going to have it harder in some ways than the last few generations have had. Still not anything close to what people for most of human history have had. Yeah. But if they want to talk about how things have gotten harder, I'll say, okay, I'll grant that. But here's the thing. If you think things are going to be harder, then instead of complaining about it, you need to figure out what you need to do to get to where you want to be, even if it means you're going to have to work harder than you might have otherwise, you know, whatever it's going to take. Uh, don't use problems in our economy or what have you as an excuse for not mm-hmm. forming a family and, you know, and having children and all of that. Because... Again, people have been having kids in dire poverty for all of human history. You know, I mean, people have been far worse off and still managed to form families. Uh, We still live incredibly comfortable lives. One of Gilder's other books, his book, uh, Life After Capitalism, is really interesting. It focuses on what he calls the information theory of uh, or, or the knowledge theory of capitalism or the knowledge theory of wealth. He basically says knowledge is the key to wealth. Sometimes I think he overstates a little bit. He says knowledge is wealth. I would say knowledge is not wealth unless you have the resources to act upon with your knowledge. Um, Knowing how to farm does me no good if I don't have a field. Um, So it's got to be the knowledge plus the resources. But, uh, you know, I I think it was Thomas Sowell that pointed this out, but Gilder picks up on it. The caveman in his cave you know, thousands of years ago, had all the same resources we have today, but he had virtually none of the wealth we have today because he didn't have the knowledge. You know, like mm. the common example is oil used to just be something that got in the way when you were digging a well. It had it was it was worthless. Worse than worthless. You did not want to hit oil when you were digging because it just got in the way. Uh, now, of course, you know, it's black gold. It's incredibly value, valuable. What makes the difference? What made oil go from being worthless to being valuable was our knowledge of yeah. what to do with it. Yeah. And so I think he's really right about that. So I, I think another way to think about this in terms of parenting as entrepreneurship or family life as entrepreneurship is to pursue wide ranging knowledge and competency mm. about God's world. I mean, this yeah. goes, you know, we talked about Proverbs. Proverbs is moral cause and effect, but there's a lot more to Proverbs. Proverbs is also re- it's pattern recognition. It's recognizing patterns in the world. Uh, the, the way things work in the world that God has made and, and, and how you know, these patterns that operate providentially. It's yeah. understanding how the world works. And, uh, and if that's the case, then accumulating wisdom, you know, as Proverbs says, is going to lead to the accumulation of wealth over the long haul because sure. wisdom is wealth. Wisdom yeah. is, a, is a form of wealth in itself. Well, and and you know, um, you know, I was I, I wasn't I wasn't speaking dogmatically about you know every, you know the scripture said the proverbs say if you see a man skillful in his work that man's going to stand before king so so you're you're uh, you know whatever profession it is whatever it is that you God built you to do you know if you're if you're pursuing that with uh, with uh, diligence and faithfulness and um, and and I and I think faith. I mean, I think that's what that's the other part of the the, the pie the puzzle that 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 I think Gilder's alluding to is is that um, every no entrepreneur goes into uh, launches into a business with with a, a crystal clear picture of how this thing is going to succeed. Every single one of these ventures takes faith, takes risk, and and again, you know the the parable of the stewards you know jesus jesus doesn't say you know better luck next time you know to the servant who buries his his talent you know jesus right. says calls him wicked uh and um 
And, and so this really is baked into the, the fabric of, of, uh, of humanity that God, God give and you will be given to, you know, take risk, uh, um, test operate. your on the waters. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Op- operate for, uh, with faith. Um, well, and it, it's interesting. It just occurred to me really what we're talking about here. We've talked about Proverbs and, you know, how Proverbs describes well, how Proverbs describes wisdom as recognizing patterns in God's world. Okay. Wisdom is pattern recognition. Right. Uh, so, so that's crucial and that's obviously necessary to, to accumulate wealth, to raise children, all of that, uh, to, to be happy and successful in your marriage, all of that, or in the business world. But then you've also got Ecclesiastes, and in Ecclesiastes, wisdom is largely a matter of improvisation. We talked about this, I think, on the very first podcast we ever did together. Ecclesiastes describes reality as vapor. The world is vapor. We can't control it. We can't sculpt it. We can't shepherd the wind. Uh, we can't we can't sculpt the vapor, and so there's a there's a very real sense in which we have to live by faith, and we have to improvise as we go. And now, according to the principles God has given us, but it's still a matter of improvisation, and I think that that's really crucial. Um, so, and I think those two things really complement each other because an entrepreneur has to have both. He's got to recognize the patterns that are out there in the world, but he's also got to be able to improvise. A parent has to do both. Parents have got to know the certain you know patterns that govern reality, and he's going to impart those pattern knowledge of those patterns to his children and he's going to use those patterns in his parenting but he's also got to be able to improvise because no two situations are alike right uh, so uh, i think it's both and and i think entrepreneurship parenting things like that are good test cases for uh for these kinds of things well and and one of the things that uh, um that i I think about a lot. I, I actually um, I wrote an article uh, for uh, the Fight Laugh Feast magazine. This last uh, issue they came out with it was called "Based Business: The War for Economic Freedom," and um, and I wrote an article for for that magazine. And, and one of the things I talked about there is this idea that you know, kind of the I call it startup porn. It's it's kind of the the this story that's told uh, in kind of the entrepreneurship startup world of, of you know, um, of basically winning you know the lottery and, and cashing out and and selling your business to a company and, and that's really success. That's really what you're looking for. You know, it's it's not hard to think who who might be pushing that narrative. <laughs> um, you know, uh, what, what I think is really happening is that 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 startup porn is sort of put out there in order to to get um, virtuous people hardworking people to go out and build businesses and turn around and sell them to um, to maybe less virtuous people or people who aren't interested in doing that hard work uh, to create a business but the but the the one of the concepts that that I keep coming back to is if you're successful and you cash out and you make a big pile of money what do you what do you what you're back to this place where you go, well, now what do I do with it? And, you know, get, this is, this is what Gilder's talking about with, with, with investors and capitalism. If you don't want that money to just fly out of your hands and get frittered away and to lose value every day with inflation, you're going to have to put that money back into something. You're going to have to invest that money back into something. And, uh, and that's going to involve risk, uh, a lot of risk. And one of the things that I try to remind myself and remind other business leaders is, 
why would you like you you control the business that you currently own you know it better than you know anything else why in the world would you want to take all the value out of that thing that you are owning and operating and understanding have the pattern recognition uh, and take that cash and then be in this predicament where now I've got this pile of money that I have to go do something with I'm gonna get taxed on it if I don't invest it somewhere you know it's gonna get taxed to nothing um, why would you want to have to be in a position to go back and figure out something else else that's as profitable or as fruitful an investment to put it in as the one that you used to have it in you know that that you used to control um, I don't think people again I don't think people think that far out into the future you know they just kind of see the startup porn uh and the the you get stars in their eyes about the huge you know potential buyout or, or potential cash out or exit that they're going to get someday um but anyway that's a that's a that's a i think it i think that's a good illustration of 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 gilder's point you know that that um that ultimately to, to get rich, to stay rich, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to let it ride and invest it in, in things. And there's a lot of uncertainty there. Um, and, uh, and you can't uh, be controlled by fear. That's right. Anxiety. That's right. Uh, and, and, and that's a key thing because a lot of people today are they're, they're, We live in a society that is so filled with anxiety and uh, and and if you're controlled by that anxiety, if you're controlled by that fear, then no, you will not be. You'll be like the man that buried his talent in the parable in Matthew 25, and you'll be put to shame by Jesus because that's not what he wants. He he want we, we have to be willing to uh, to take some risks. We have not, not foolish risks. Obviously, not all risk is equal. Or the way Ecclesiastes 11 puts it again is to cast your bread upon the waters. Yeah. that is part of the Christian life. Yeah. Um, getting married is risky. Having yeah. kids is risky. Yeah. Uh, starting a business is risky. Um, all, all kinds of things involve risk, and yet we're called to wisely engage in behaviors or actions or um, missions that, that that do entail risk. There's no question. Yeah. Um, well, in the in the 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 way that it works, just to bring it to bring it home to Gilder, the way it works in parenting, the way it works in marriage, the way it works in ministry, the way it works in businesses is you must first give something of value. You know, you must first pour out your, I mean, it's, 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 it's the cross, you know, it, it all starts with, with, with taking up your cross, making a sacrifice of something valuable for others. You know, that's the, that's the whole beginning premise of this. You sit at the foot of the table. Uh, he who is last will be made first. You know, this, this, all of this, this is the, this is the cheat code of the universe, you know, that, that Christ came to, to demonstrate for us is, is if you pour yourself out, if you lay your life down, if you, if you um, give whatever value you have to others, you know, um, that, that, is the, that is the path to, to success, uh, to blessing, to, to joy. Larson, let me, um, as we're kind of wrapping this up, let me yep. point out a couple things that might be interesting uh, for our listeners to uh, check out. Uh, yeah, please. Already. Um, one thing I was going to mention, and we, we've talked about the Gilder book, and the Gilder book addresses a lot of issues related to 
uh, to manhood, family life, all of that. There's another book that's come out recently that probably a lot of people have heard. It's called The Toxic War on Masculinity by Nancy Percy. Yes. And, uh, and, and it, it, I'm, I, I'm not going to tell people to not read it. Like, I'm not going to warn people about it. Yeah. There, there's a lot of content in the book that is good. There are also some real problems with the book, some of which I think uh, are addressed by Gilder. And yeah. the flip side of that is she addresses some of the problems that I think Gilder has, you know, yeah. like, like, you know, some of the ways that Gilder's committed to, in, in this book at least, to uh, like sort of an evolutionary framework sure. or, or something like that. So she, she's critical of Gilder along the way, but she also has some real blind spots that I think Gilder can, fit, can fill in. So the fact that Gilder's book got republished about the same time that Percy's book uh, has come out is interesting to me because in some ways they, uh, they, they, um, there's some overlap there and also some some complementarity in terms of their strengths and weaknesses. But I wrote a rather lengthy review on Percy's book that is available on uh, on my blog. So if you go to our church website, which is trinity-prez.net, okay. trinity-prez.net, and then you go to the pastor's corner, you can scroll down a little bit and you'll find a, a, an article called Percy's Toxic War on Masculinity. And it's gotten, it's gotten like over 5,000 hits. So for me, that's... that's oh, wow. really Way more than I typically get for something, uh, so it has gotten some momentum. But uh, I think it's—I I would like to think it is a helpful uh, engagement with Percy's book. You do not have to have read Percy's book to read my review. You might want to read Percy's book uh, after reading my review if you haven't already, just to test my—you know—my my criticisms and whatnot. But the review is not entirely critical. I'm also very positive about some things that she says. But I do think there's some real flaws in the book in terms of the way she understands it, uh, understands masculinity. And so I tried to address that. So that's one thing I wanted to point out. Cool. Um, I've got a few other posts that might be of, of, of interest uh, to our audience related to this. I believe it or not, I never went to see the Barbie movie, but I did do it. <laughs> I read so many reviews of the Barbie movie. I feel like, I had, like I had suffered through it. Come on, I, read, I read an article on Barbie and the patriarchy that addresses some of the issues raised by the movie based on the reviews that I read. So you can take it with a grain of salt, but that's there. And then one other article that, uh, that I think some of our listeners might find interesting on our blog is called Triple Threat. And okay. it's basically about uh, a holistic approach to manhood that integrates, you know, I, th I think some, so many of our discussions about manhood try to try to find like one thing to focus on. And there's been a lot of debates online recently about, um, you know, like about um, physical fitness for men and how, yeah. how important is lifting weights, hitting the gym, how important is that to manhood? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's something that we should discuss. I mean, we're not Gnostics, the body matters. And as yeah. men, we know there's lots of things that do require uh, bodily strength to do. And scripture even says the glory of young men is their strength. So strength sure. is especially associated with manhood. That's really important. But that's not everything. And so in this article, what I mean by triple threat is you, know, you want to be a man who's a triple threat, who mm. physically develops himself, spiritually develops himself, and then you could say intellectually, or that, that may not be the best word, but um, basically uh, in terms of basically develops competencies. Mm. Uh, so, so I would say there's, there's a physical aspect to manhood. There's a spiritual aspect to manhood, and there's a dominion aspect to manhood. And that can be, you know, intellectual dominance in some field yeah. or, or if you're working with your hands, you know, some other, some other, 
set of skills or competencies that you have that enable you to get things done in the world. Yeah. Uh, but, but all of those have to be integrated if we're going to be the kind of men that God wants us to be. So yeah. the physical, the spiritual, and the, and the dominion uh, aspect of that. So that's an article also that people may find uh, interesting as well um, that uh, people might want to check out. Again, that's also at the blog. Um, I think all of these, that one was from August. I think the article on Barbie and the patriarchy, that was also August. And then the one on Percy. Yeah, I just, I just cruised the website. I found them all. We'll, we'll get these links in the show, in the, in the description of the video or the, or the podcast, wherever you're listening to this. So we'll get those in there, but it's, if you're just trying to navigate right now, it's, it's, uh, it's Trinity Prez, Trinity dash Prez.net. And there's a link on there, pastor's corner. Or you can you can jump to it by going pastor trinity dash yeah that's right you can go straight to it and then one other thing I wanted to mention I've got a book that just came out recently from Athanasius Press called The Measures of the Mission uh, that's not a title I came up with and I didn't necessarily like it at first but it's kind of grown on me and it does I think capture what the book is really about this is kind of my book about everything you know it's everything okay. but the kitchen sink so the first part of the book is basically an overview of the gospel the original title we had for the book was the gospel of the kingdom you know the whole point is jesus did not come preaching the gospel he preached the gospel of the kingdom and why does that kingdom part matter and early in the book i, I kind of do you know there's the old evangelism explosion question that you ask people like if you were to yeah. die tonight are you sure you'd go to heaven? And that's kind of leading for the gospel. And that's that's a fine question to ask. But we also need to ask the question, if I don't die tonight, what does the gospel mean mm. for how I live the rest of my life? Mm. And that's really what we're trying to address in this book. And I say we because a, a member of my church here, uh, Kevin Fox, was pretty instrumental in helping me get the book together because a mm. lot of it is based on sermons that I preached you know, even as far back as 10, you know, 12 years ago. Uh, but the first part of the book is really basically a summation of the gospel uh, in terms of creation, fall, redemption, uh, and all of that. Uh, and, and so it kind of lays out the, the big storyline of the Bible. And then we go into specific areas with chapters on family and singleness. You know, there's, when I say family, there's, there's a section on marriage, there's a chapter on children. Um, there's 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 actually a chapter on singleness. Uh, there's uh, material on worship and other aspects of church life. Uh, there's a chapter on justification and how we understand that, uh, both initial justification and final justification, what role our works play in the final judgment. Uh, and then there's some political theology in the book as well. Uh, there, there's a there's a theology of vocation in the book. So it really is very wide ranging. And, uh, and I won't say that, it, that it's a masterpiece of, of theological writing or anything like that, but I do think that it's a very solid introduction yeah. to what I would just call our way of thinking, living, uh, doing church, uh, living out our faith in the family, all of that. So it's comprehensive in that way. It's designed to, to kind of be one book that you could give to somebody who's kind of new to our circles. And you could say, look, this is what we're really about. Cool. Uh, so it's, I think it's pretty readable and uh, I'm hoping it'll be very, very helpful. Uh, well, I've been that. checking my, I've been checking my mailbox every day for the advanced reader copy that I was, I was, uh, I thought all, all uh, got a minute uh, uh, presenters got a copy is what I, what I, I thought I'd heard. I must've misheard that. Uh, They're getting you a special one with gold binding. Oh, okay. Gold okay. That's, it, and so it's yeah, going to take yeah, okay. a long to get it to you. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Well, I'm thrilled about the book. I can't wait to read it. And, uh, and, and I think we'll have to do an episode where we, we dive into it and, sure, and I'd love to. I, that'd be a lot of fun. So I'll, I'll, I'll get after it. And, uh, that's at Athanasius press, right? Athanasius press. Yeah. You can get on Amazon or wherever, but it's, it's from Athanasius press. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we've got a lot of, uh, links here. We'll put in the, uh, in the description below, uh, wherever you're listening to this, we'll make sure we get links to Rich's book and, and those articles we mentioned. Um, and, um, man, this has been a lot of fun as always. And I, I feel, uh, more inspired to get back to work and, uh, you know, yeah. the work of, of business, but also the work of parenting and Absolutely. the work of marriage. Absolutely. Yeah. Th- th- this was great. Uh, thanks for your minute of time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is great. Appreciate it very much. Glad to be back doing this with you. Yeah, man. Well, we'll see you next time. It hopefully will be sooner rather than later. The God a Minute podcast is a ministry of Trinity Reformed Church in Huntsville, Alabama. If you like this podcast, you might enjoy one of our other podcasts, The Good Life Podcast, featuring Matt Carpenter interviewing experts in their field about how their work contributes to the good life.